welcome to episode two of Big Happy Life. I'm in search of a big happy life, and if that's the kind of thing you're into as well, then stick with me. This week, we're looking at two approaches to happiness, the hedonic approach and the eudaimonic approach. Both of them tend to be found under the heading of well-being, but as I discovered while I was searching for a definition of happiness this week, it might actually be better to talk about well-being than happiness. It became really clear to me this week that happiness is one of the most generic words we have in the English language. So generic that it's almost meaningless. And yet, as an experience, it's so subjective that we can't really talk about it in generic terms, not easily. So we have this generic word with a subjective experience and nowhere to go with that. Whereas if you look at it as an ingredient of well-being, then you have a lot more to explore. I found a really cool definition of well-being from the New Economics Foundation, and they said, well-being can be understood as how people feel and how they function, both on a personal and a social level, and how they evaluate their lives as a whole. So in terms of the big happy life and everything that I was aiming for and what got this whole thing started in the first place, that really fits because I'm not looking for kind of peak experiences and instant happiness. I'm looking for a big happy life, a life that when I think about it or look back on it, I would say, yes, it's a good one. And I guess that's what you're looking for as well. You're not, you're not here for me to talk to you about clubbing and boozing and partying, which are all things that are often associated with happiness, but as you'll see, are associated with a particular type of happiness. I think the kind we're after is the other kind. And in that, I have already started talking about hedonic and eudaimonic approaches. The hedonic approach, as the name suggests, is the one that's more associated with the seeking of pleasure and the avoidance of pain. And not necessarily pain as we understand the word, but, you know, even things like boredom. So it's really about kind of sensory stimulation and seeking of experiences. It can be about going out shopping, drinking, eating, socializing, all of those things that kind of stimulate the pleasure centers and the reward centers of the brain. So of course, these types of experiences are certainly going to be present in a happy life, but when they are used to kind of dull out or numb any difficult feelings, any kind of psychological pain, then the likelihood is they come back to bite us. And that usually happens for one of two reasons, both of which fall under the umbrella of a term called hedonic treadmill. The basic premise is that when you have the pleasurable experience, you experience pleasure. But when you stop doing the thing, you stop feeling the pleasure, which means you need to repeat the behavior. But over time, you get used to a certain level of pleasure. And in order to then experience that same level of pleasure, you have to do more of the same thing. So think perhaps addictive behaviors or risk-taking behaviors where, let's say, for example, if wine was your thing, then over a period of time, you would end up drinking more regularly and you would drink more units. You'd perhaps start earlier in the day or drink for longer at night, maybe even stay up later so that you could have a couple more glasses. All those kinds of things would play in because you'd be on that treadmill. You would need much more stimulus to create the same reward. Of course, there's brain chemistry associated with that, but we'll explore that in another episode. So as you can imagine, a life with a really strong hedonic approach would mean a life where you're constantly chasing those pleasurable experiences, that absence of pain. And if the source of pain originates inside your own mind, then that's when any kind of hedonic pleasure-seeking behavior is likely to lead, in the end, to more pain and definitely less happiness. That was certainly my experience in the short term after adopting my children. I found after they went to bed, I was just so overwhelmed and so tired and so broken. 
And I really did feel like a failure in the beginning. I felt like a terrible mom. The whole thing was really difficult. And they would go to bed and I would think, oh, mommy needs a glass of wine. And I'd plonk myself on the sofa, eating chocolate, drinking wine, watching bad TV, thinking I was making myself feel better, but ultimately not realizing how much worse I was making things. It took months before I kind of realized the cycle that I was creating and how it was affecting my energy levels, my mood, my ability to kind of pull myself out, largely because I was on my own little hedonic treadmill. So the glass of wine after the kids went to bed became the glass of wine before they went to bed, became, you know, the sneaky gin and tonic while I'm cooking. And it was really because I couldn't face up to those feelings of overwhelm and those feelings of failure. And until I did, that pleasure seeking was more problematic than it was helpful. So it wasn't a source of happiness. It was a source of dissatisfaction and ultimately what became depression. So yes, pleasurable experiences are a great part of a happy life, but when their main purpose is to cover up pain we can't deal with, then the likelihood is they're going to come back to bite us at some other point. So for those of us looking for a big happy life, the likelihood is we're going to find it through the other approach, the eudaimonic approach. This approach is much more about finding meaning in life, kind of purpose. It's about cultivation of personal strengths, uh, making a contribution to the greater good, kind of feeling like your life is worth something. In order to really make the most of this approach, you have to understand yourself quite well. You need to know your inner nature, your core values. You've got to know what's important to you so that you can live your life accordingly. Which all sounds great, but it's also blooming hard work. And it's very easy to see how the hedonic approach can be really appealing when all you want to do is just make yourself feel a little bit better. When you're overwhelmed, you're tired, you're scared, you're angry, whatever it is that you're experiencing, it would be quite nice to just let go for a while. When all's said and done, I think all lives need both approaches. I think the benefit of understanding these two approaches is that you can pay attention to the balance in your life. That's certainly how I've taken it and what I've been thinking about this week. You know, how much time do I spend seeking pleasure, avoiding pain? How well do I really understand my core values and how well is my life aligned with those core values? These are useful questions to ask. You know, one of the things I've been doing with my corporate clients for the last 10 years is helping them look at the patterns in the way they do things. The things that they perhaps take for granted and pay no attention to, but are having massive impacts on the lives of the team members and the results that they're getting. But the same is true in our lives when it's just us, just me. And it's useful to pay attention to the patterns because the likelihood is everything that isn't contributing to your happiness is taking from it. So... I guess where I'd leave today is to think about what are the things in your life that are contributing to your happiness and what are the things that ultimately, even if they feel good right now, are going to take it away. If you've got any questions or comments, please let me know. I would love to hear from you. Please subscribe and come back for episode three, where we'll be talking about the experiencing self versus the remembering self. Very cool stuff when it comes to memories and how they affect our happiness. See you then. Thanks for listening. 